I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Jess. And I'm recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, where the rest of this episode has also been recorded. I acknowledge the ongoing effects of colonisation and how it impacts the soil, the production of foods, and in turn, the foods we eat today. I pay my respects to the elders past and present. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Back when I was at uni, I lived in a typical share house. There were five of us, all in our early 20s, in a shop front we pretended was a house with one bathroom. We threw a lot of parties and we accumulated a lot of crap. The more parties we threw, the more crap we collected, so we needed to have a garage sale. In our carport, we lined up all the miscellaneous items, party props, racks of clothes, records, piles and piles of books. We sat out the front of our carport on the street on stolen milk crates, drinking beers and chatting with our friends who showed up to keep us company. Five hours in, we'd sold barely anything and had just enough money to buy a slab of Cooper's Pail. Then a car pulled up to the curb. It was my housemate's parents. Her mum rolled down the window, said something in Vietnamese, and my housemate told us that she brought us lunch. Her dad opened the boot, pulled out a trestle table and flipped it open. They both started pulling out plastic bags and containers from the back seat. They were filled with sliced meats, pickles, washed herbs and bread rolls. Her mum even brought her own cutlery and knives because she didn't trust that ours would be clean or sharp. There were dozens of ingredients, sauce bottles, homemade mayonnaise and cut chilies. While she was shaming my housemate for having so much rubbish, her mum gracefully sliced open a bread roll, swiped it with an array of condiments, stuffed it with meats, herbs, splashed on Maggi sauce, and finished it with salt and pepper. She walked over to each of us and told us to eat. Crumbs fell all over my T-shirt. Bread was crisp and chewy, and the fillings were fatty and savoury, punctuated with heat, piquancy, and sweetness. It was a textural wonderland. I remember saying, What's this called? I love it. And my housemate was like, It's bun me. I thanked her mum profusely and made it my mission to find all the shops that made it near our house. I was a broke student but I was prepared to pay whatever it costs. It was the best sandwich I'd ever had. I saved up my coins and went to a shop on Victoria Street. They only charged me $5. How the hell was it only $5? They baked the bread, the ingredients were all fresh, and the roll was jam-packed. I couldn't even make it for that price. I'm Jess Ho, And this is Bad Taste, a podcast about who we are through the foods we eat. I purchased that $5 bun me 
15 years ago. I still go to that same shop on Victoria Street for bun mees. The street has changed. The faces behind the counter belong to the next generation. But the prices have barely budged. So I wonder, how can bun mees still be so cheap? T. Lee and her team at Carcom Bun Me are cleaning down for the day, and she invites me in for a chat. Hey, hey mate, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, 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 good. Not as good as cheddar cheese. Oh. T is an award-winning chef who's made a name for herself by cooking Vietnamese food, informed by her Australian upbringing at her restaurant Anchovy. She owns it with her partner, Jia Yen Lee. Oh, and cheddar cheese isn't an ingredient in a Carcom Bun Me. It's their dog. During lockdown, they started selling bun mi out of the restaurant window to get by and are now doing it permanently next door. Gakom, which we opened during the pandemic, is a bun mi shop. I met T when we were both up for Best New Awards one year at the Gourmet Traveller Awards. We were sat next to each other. She won her category and I lost mine. This was a few years ago now, but I've been a regular at Anchovy since. I've also been lining up for her bun mees since she started slinging them. I have to admit, it was the first time in my life that I enjoyed lining up for food. I got to chat to strangers. And while I was chatting to strangers, I learned that there's a miscommunication about what Australians think bun mee is and what bun mee actually is. So bun mee in Vietnamese just means bread. The French coming into Vietnam... A lot of Viet chefs were forced to cook French food for the French. And so they brought in bread, cheese and hams, all the cold cuts. So it wasn't until the French left Vietnam that the Vietnamese actually started doing their own thing to the baguette, you know. And we started putting the herbs in and started putting Maggie seasoning and all these, you know, chilies and pickles and stuff. And I think it's just the bun mi you get today. It's just an evolution of something that was brought into the country and an embrace. Anchovy and Carcom are on Bridge Road in Richmond. And there are two sides to Richmond. One side is packed with Vietnamese restaurants, bakeries and cookware shops. On the other side, where Anchovy and Carcom are, is full of new apartment blocks. There's a Pilates studio for every building. Everyone's got a designer dog and a wide all-terrain pram for their newborn. It's also known as the poor man's South Yarra. We wanted somewhere, a little bit of foot traffic, a good community and somewhere that kind of fits our price bracket and with a bit of room to grow. And that's how we ended up here on Bridge Road. And just like those two sides to Richmond, T's customers are quite diverse too. It's a bit of a mixed crowd at the moment. You've got your Vietnamese people that come in, young Vietnamese, and he's totally into it. And a bit of a mix, I think, from probably 30s to 50s. We end up getting a lot of uh, the baby boomers. And when people saw Bun Me, they expected to see single digit prices. Honestly, when I first decided to do Bun Me, I was like, no, it's Bun Me, it'll be easy. I think originally when we first started, it was, I think, $11. And our bunny prices now start at 14 to, I think, $17. Every so often, if we're doing something fun, it might be 20 bucks. 
we making the pate, the pickles, the mayo, picking all the herbs. I think for us, because we use a mixture of butter lettuce, coriander, and seashell. So we're picking all that down, chopping it through. We do a red curry paste, you know, a chili oil, and then we were breaking down whole pigs. Yep, whole pigs. That's a hell of a lot of work. T fills her banh mi's with a jungle curry pork sausage, turmeric marinated chicken, cooked over coals, tomato braised sardines, Manchurian spiced pumpkin. You get the idea. She wanted her customers to be able to see why her banh mi commanded a higher price. But even with all this work, she was still underpricing her product. And then it wasn't until I had a friend who was white Australian and she started helping us out in the bummy shop and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? So the next day she came in and she grabbed menus from a whole bunch of sandwich places around Melbourne and she was like, look, you know, it ranges from $15 to $22. And she's broke down all these venues and she's like, look, they make zero. All their salamis they buy in. I was like, oh, okay. They use the same produce as you. And I was like, oh, okay. These guys, they just buy Kewpie mayo. You know, like I was like, oh yeah. And I think you came in and said, this is too cheap. And then we moved from $11 to $12 to $13. I've never understood why bun mis are so cheap. Sure, they're a fast casual item that you can find in Viet cafes and bakeries. But if you've ever bought all the ingredients to make your own, you'd understand how buying a bun mi at a Vietnamese bakery feels like a steal. But T's bun mi's are even more involved because she makes everything from scratch. I ask her to tell me all the steps involved in making one of her top selling bun mi's, the jungle curry pork sausage. So, whole animals come in on a Thursday. This whole pig has to be broken down, ground, mixed with curry paste that's made in-house before it's even turned into sausages. Then we hang it overnight. We would smoke it for at least like 20 minutes before we start grilling. That's just the sausage process alone. And don't forget the other components of bun mi. This isn't a sausage sizzle. You've got other elements to think about too. So this is fresh ingredients. We then make a uh, cold vinegar pickle liquor and then we pickle it at least for two days in advance. Then we blend it all up and that gives us our paste. And then it's the herb mix. Have you ever washed herbs in bulk before? Not fun. So the bread itself, we re-toast it over the wood grill so it gets that nice char. The only area where tea cuts herself some slack is the bread. She buys it from Fuktan. This bun mi, which takes 48 hours to make, with a house-made sausage, a red curry mayo, pickled carrots, herbs mix, chilli oil and cucumber, is only $14. So it's pretty labour-intensive. There are so many skills that are required to make that one specific bun mi. From butchery, pickling, emulsifying, pounding curry pastes, smoking, and let's not forget, lighting a controlled fire that you can cook multiple items over. This is not an assembly line sandwich. We're not in Subway anymore, Toto. But it's not just skill and raw ingredients that you're paying for. There are so many other costs associated with running a restaurant. There's rent, 
GST, outgoings like gas and electricity, wages, staff super, insurance, payroll tax, liquor licensing, APRA to play music, POS systems, banking fees, merchant fees and packaging. The list goes on. So how is it that Vietnamese bakeries are able to sell bun mi for less than $10? I think number one will be labour. I think you find like even Phuc Tan, you know, dad is like, he's the main baker. He works seven days a week and I'm pretty sure he's in there from midnight all the way through. And Phuc Tan isn't the only bakery in this position. These families get away with keeping the prices low because they don't pay themselves properly. They just live on what's left after paying overheads and cost of goods. And the rest of the family is roped into the business as well. In the words of one baker I spoke to, I'm committing wage theft on myself and my own family. And the other thing is produce. It's a natural economy where it's like, you're trying to have this product at X price. If you're selling something for $6, right? To say hypothetically, uh, $6, are you really going to pay $28 for pork belly? You know what I mean? And then if you're willing to pay for something, you end up calling the supplier. You push the price down. So you're pushing the other person's businesses down. So no one grows together. Ah, a race to the bottom. Even now, when I go shopping, when mom comes down here, she's like, just tell them for a cheaper price. And I'm like, oh my God, mom, like they're struggling as much as I am. If I can help them, you know, just buy at that price, you know, it's a win-win situation for everyone. It's okay. You know, it's 20 cents more or it's $2 more, whatever it is. And it's even still, I think it's crazy right now. Coriander in an Asian grocery store is like a dollar. Coriander in Woolies is $2.50 in that little plastic packet. It's time we value ourselves The idea of value is difficult to navigate. As a child of immigrants, I not only see people outside our culture expecting our food to be cheap, but I see that from my own family as well. I wonder why they place such little value on their own cuisine. I don't know if they devalue it on purpose. And this is what I'm always trying to figure out. You've gone in, you've opened the business and you're a dollar cheaper from old mate next door. You're not making money. So you're like, what can we do to, you know, reduce costs? I know, let's ring the suppliers and be like, we need the chickens cheaper. We need this. And then it's just cheapens the dish. I'm trying to elevate Vietnamese cuisine on the same par level as every other cuisine. We also take our food seriously and we also like to eat and drink well and, you know, it doesn't have to be cheap and dirty, you know, and it's a mixed perception even, you know, there's young kids that come in like, oh, you know, this isn't Viet because it's not what my mum cooks. And I was like, yeah, I know that because I'm not your mum. And it's just like they can't see beyond what you're trying to do, you know, just trying to move this whole culture forward a little bit more. I find T's use of the word elevate interesting because I don't think she's elevating Vietnamese cuisine the way that food media uses the word elevate. It's a loaded term. Usually it means the dish has been manipulated in a way that is more approachable for a white person. When T says she's elevating Vietnamese food, She's setting a standard for the way it should be valued and appreciated. It should be as respected as any other cuisine. 
by charging what the cuisine is worth, she's humanising the people behind it. People walk in the shop and be like, yeah, cover bun me. We're like, which one do you want? They go through the whole process. And the time to pay, they look at the thing and they're like, $17? No. And walk out. I had another gentleman who said, it must be really hard for you. Either people love it or they hate you. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the gist. And he said, one day the Viets will appreciate what you're doing. Right now, they might not appreciate it. The younger generation might not see it. But what you're doing is pushing it forward. And it's not just the locals that T's received pushback from. She's even copped it from her mum. Her reaction in Vietnamese was joy, oh joy, which means, oh my God, oh my God, you know? And then she's like, what are you doing? Like, it's so expensive. And even my older sister, when she heard the prices, she was horrified. So when mum came down here, she sees the invoice. She sees the pig in. She sees the difference. She's like, oh, wow. And the thing is, she tastes the difference. I can't speak for every immigrant and all immigrant experiences, but I can see from my family that they had a belief that our food had to be cheap because it was a service for our community. And then they felt a pressure to keep it cheap when white Australians caught on to it. Cheap food became like this passport to being accepted by white Australians. But if immigrant foods are so palatable, maybe the immigrants who make the food should be too. But now, you know, we're educated, we're trying to embrace our own culture, we're learning about ourselves. It's like, okay, mum, thank you. You've introduced people to the food. And now it's time for our generation to be like, all right, we're going to appreciate it and embrace it and move beyond that entry level, you know, cheap and cheerful. And I don't think this is exclusive to Asian communities because I've seen this happen in so many ethnic ones. It's always the older generation and the youngest ones who are stuck in their ways. I had this older gentleman come in with his daughter and he would probably be probably my mum's age and the daughter's probably maybe a bit older than myself. They're looking around and in my head I was like, please don't talk about the price because, you know, because I find it really hard to try to justify. So they got bunmies and they sat at the back and I went out the back and I cleared the table and I said, oh, you're Vietnamese. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm actually Vietnamese. And I said, you know, what do you think? And he goes, interesting. I was like, interesting in a good way or interesting in, in the bad way? And his daughter said to me, we've read stuff about this mama shop, but we're very sceptical. But we're just curious to see why everyone was talking about this. And I was like, well, did it, did it answer your question? And then they said, I think so. She's like, we've never had a bun me like this before. And then dad said, it's so familiar, but so different in a good way and he said the thing I love about all this is the soul of it's still there you're not my daughter but I'm so proud of what you're doing for beer food and I was like wow and I think we're onto something the tricky thing about change is that someone always has to instigate it whether it's about new flavors concepts or price Every person that gets it, there are 10 people telling you, you're crazy. There will always be pushback. Immigrants 
and the generations after them deserve to ask for what they're worth. And people outside these cultures need to ask themselves why they're willing to pay more for one cuisine over another. Why are they more willing to pay $30 for a plate of pasta, but not a bowl of noodles? Why don't they see an issue with a $17 pastrami sandwich, but do with a bun mi? This is how internalised racism affects what we value. Hang out after the credits for a recipe for carrot and daikon pickle. The one you find in Bun Me. Bad Taste is an SBS podcast. Jess Ho is our host and producer. Michelle Macklem is our executive producer. Our series producer is Beth atkinson Quinton. Our sound designer is Nicole Pingon. Our editor is Zoe Tennant. And I'm Bez Zolder, our producer. A big thanks to our well-bred team at SBS, Rachel Sibley, Caroline Gates, Joel Supple and mix engineer Max Gosford. Our theme music is Lang Lang by Rainbow Chan. Our stunning podcast art is by Joanna Hu. Thanks to Barn Me Extraordinaires, T Lee, Jia Yen Lee, and the crew from Anchovy and Car Com. And Lock Lee from Fook Hung. We're back next week with more delicious and disgusting flavours, so make sure you follow Bad Taste in your favourite podcast app so you get every episode delivered straight to your device. This is a recipe for carrot and daikon pickle. You'll need 250 grams each of julienned carrot and daikon, one and a half tablespoons of salt, half a cup of water, half a cup of sugar, and a quarter cup of white vinegar. Salt the carrot and daikon and leave to sit for 30 minutes. Rinse off the salt and squeeze out the excess moisture. Pack the carrot and daikon into sterilized glass jars. In a pot, boil the water and add the sugar, stirring to dissolve. Turn off the heat and add the vinegar. Pour this pickling solution into the carrot and daikon filled jars so they're fully covered. Screw the lids on and leave for 48 hours. Check to see if they're done by tasting the pickle. If it needs longer, screw the lid on and leave at room temp. Once they're done, transfer to the fridge. Enjoy these pickles in bun mi with bun, broken rice and more. 